Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Included in this book are highlights and notes in the margin. This is the Notable Podcast, and these are the discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 7, Life Reframed, a podcast on Ecclesiastes. Hello and welcome to the Notable Podcast here on a Wednesday evening. We are live on YouTube and some of you are with us right now and some of you are joining us on various podcasting platforms. We do invite you to subscribe to us on YouTube and those other platforms. You can donate to us at the notablepodcast.com. Tonight, we are going into an episode where we are going to confront you with our own inevitable future. And what we're going to see is we're going to see that Solomon takes us to our future to root us in our past so that we can live wisely in our present. But I don't want to get too far ahead. That's where we're headed tonight please do subscribe. And also, please um, make a calendar note or whatever you do to show up next week. Uh, We're going to start wrapping up this season on the book of Ecclesiastes called Life Reframe by um, inviting on to our podcast, um, Professor Luke George Thompson. He's written a book called your Life Has Meaning, which is um, a commentary of sorts on the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to be interviewing him. We're really excited to have him and learn from him and reflect on the book together with him. So that's next Wednesday. Join us for that as well. Next Wednesday, 8 o'clock. And that, by the way, is going to be a bonus episode. Uh, this is going to be the last time that we... Um, are live on YouTube uh, this week and then next week. We we planned it out this way. What a good plan, right? To right before the end of the year as a kind of a Christmas gift to bring our little study here of Ecclesiastes to to a close. And I can't. I'm I'm so excited that we get to um, close with Professor Luke Thompson. It's going to be really wonderful to have him on on the podcast together so um pick up the book you got a week to read it (laughs) and if you're on the chat that particular night you'll be able to ask questions as well but tonight jonathan i wanted to think about tonight's episode in this way that um i want to i want to get like in a in a football linebacker crouch and and break down the doors of your heart if i have to And I want to take two runs at the door of your heart for why we need to hear this word from Solomon here tonight. And the first one goes along Christmas lines. And it's this is why we named the podcast the way that we did tonight, that um, we all know uh, um, Charles Dickens famous story at Christmas time. And he describes at Christmas time the the ghost or the spirit of christmas yet to come and this was the last ghost or the last spirit that that ebenezer scrooge who is is so prolific this time of year sees 
and he is the most afraid of the spirit. I mean, he is, if you can remember from the story, he is trembling from it. It And uh, Charles Dickens actually changes the time when the spirit shows up and he comes at the witching hour and, and, and he shows to Ebenezer Scrooge his future with this goal and a really important goal. The spirit, I'm going to read this because it's so important to get. The reason why Dickens does that is so that the spirit shows Scrooge his future fate is not set in stone or written on his gravestone, but can be changed by changing his actions in the present. Um, and this is, this is something that Solomon, Solomon wants us to see, just like Charles Dickens did, our future. And this is something that we human beings have a really hard time doing. It really, we live in absolute denial so much of the time uh, about the future. In fact, Jonathan, I've been reading this book recently uh, about how to make plans for the future and how to encourage other people to make plans for the future. And it's actually really hard to do. Um, one famous psychologist actually came, said that humans are biased for immediacy. And studies have actually shown that human beings um, have the hardest time in the world imagining their future. And in fact, if you asked a person, what is your life going to be like in 15 years? Nobody can do it. That, that's actually like studies have shown that. It's, it's as if like a curtain drops at the 15-year mark, and we can no longer see it. We can't envision it. And so we can't even have compassion <laughs> for, our, for our future me, right? For our, for our future selves. And Solomon, he wants to absolutely break us out of that. And he's got an interesting strategy. What, what this book um, suggests to do would be this. Sometimes, sometimes people will actually use virtual reality. So they will, there's even apps that do this. You can take a picture of yourself and tell the app to age yourself. Have you ever seen that, Jonathan? Or anybody who's listening, like age yourself like 20 years and you'll be, you'll be like, whoa. <laughs> um, sometimes what psychologists will tell you to do is to sit down and write yourself a letter. Write the 60-year-old version of yourself or the 80-year-old version of yourself or the 90-year-old version of yourself a letter. And all of a sudden, you'll be able to think about the things that Solomon wants us to think about tonight. Is this making sense? So you took two runs at us to try to to try to get us there we need Solomon's poetry uh because we're so bad at thinking about the future he's going to show us the future i only want to add this that he does it through creating an experience through poetry so actually through um the poiesis um you know the the, the poetry of his words he enters us into this world so that we can actually experience our future 
before we actually experience it. Um, sometimes people call this experienced meaning so that we've actually pictured ourselves there. We've, we've gone to that future and we learn from it and come back really to the present then having been fast forward to that future. Um, you, you can think about experienced meaning like this. Mark Twain made a, a comment once. He said, a man who carries a cat by the tail learns something he can learn and know other way. <laughs> Mark Twain, always nice for, for words. But again, we're going to learn something in the experience of Solomon's poetry that we can learn in no other way. We have to go there. We have to go there. And it's not going to be easy. I mean, sometimes we talk about whistling past, past a graveyard. Uh, I, this quote really struck me. This is from a poet. In this world, we walk on the roof of hell gazing at flowers think about that like we walk on the roof of hell gazing at flowers so we 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 try to ignore the realities of the coming judgment of the fact that we're going to die and and i think this is the reasons why we can't even imagine ourselves 15 years in the future we don't even want to think about it but solomon in an on blinking way he's going to force us to look at it but he's not going to leave us in despair this this is so moving <laughs> it's very moving listen to this poetry this beautiful poetry um read it if you can and spend some time with it it's powerful um this is ecclesiastes chapter 12 yeah i was just going to say get out your bibles this is notable stuff. This is highlighting stuff. This is underlining type stuff. We're going to spend a lot of time in the text tonight. Take it away, Jonathan. Give it a read here. So listen, just experience this. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark. And the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Devastating beauty in the poetry. And yeah. I, I think, go ahead. How, what, how about we do this, Jonathan? Can we just walk through this text and just notice some things about the poetry and 
and give some possible interpretations. If you want to go through it, I'll do some circling stuff so people can be following along. But this is this is a dead, dying, devastatingly beautiful world that Solomon's painting for us. I, I love this so much. We'll go ahead and I'll, I'll maybe I'll be a color commentator too. So, so first, let's just do the the trees and the forest. Then we'll look at the forest for the trees. But first, let's just get down to the nitty gritty of it and let's just kind of get lost inside of this poem here. Um, the first place that we want to start interpreting this poem is in verse two. So this is where the poetic language really starts heaping up. He says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. There's a lot of debate about a lot of a lot of this poetry and that debate will go on but um I, i'll i'll give you a couple options and and just to help you meditate on it um, what seems to be happening here is we're experiencing um through solomon's words a middle eastern storm um and you'll notice that what the storm seems to do is it makes the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark it's um it's quite an incredible storm and this storm is very different because the storm usually the you know the after a storm the the clouds are wiped out of the sky and you experience some sunshine but in this case actually the clouds return after the rain so that it's almost like the storm on Jupiter's eye it just keeps raging this storm is not getting any better and so that's on the surface what Solomon is describing. This, of course, is a metaphor. Um, and, it, and it's a metaphor for um, a, a human being who is getting old and is dying. Now, you'll notice that this is apocalyptic language, you know, like it's, it's horrifying language, like losing the sun, the moon, and the stars the clouds returning. It's horrifying language. It's, it's like cosmic language. It's end of the world and, and at least end of, end of your world language. And just to highlight this, um, there's a commentator by the name of Derek Kidner. He writes about this verse, that there's a time that comes in all of our lives. This is our inevitable future that we've been talking about. When time no longer heals, but it kills. And it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's horrifying to think about that. Now we're going to talk about the rest of the human body in just a second, but at least here, what we need to do is, is stop and think about, well, what are the sun and the moon and the stars? And it's difficult to pin this down. It's, it's poetry. I think um, uh, the commentator Kyle makes a possible argument that's worth considering is this our inner life? Like, is, is the sun our mind and, and, you know, thinking and, you know, this is kind of the top of you, your, your inner life, your capacity to reflect and feel and, um, and think clearly. Um, it does seem like it's po that a possible interpretation is that your, your mental fortitude is diminishing. I don't know how many, I don't know if I was just listening for this, but I don't know how many people told me that I had a senior moment this week <laughs> at a senior moment. And it's, that's, that's what we're talking about, except it's not 
it's not funny. You know, the storm yeah. just keeps happening. And you're, it could be, it could be your mental faculties. It could be your senses too. People have wondered about that. Like your eyesight starts to go. I mean, I got glasses, you need hearing aids, things like that. But I'll also point out this, that there's a pretty significant um, word in there where this, we have the sun and the moon and the stars and separated out from the, the sun and the moon and stars is the light. So this is hearkening back to to genesis and and solomon saying what god did at creation is is being undone a little bit at a time so instead of god creating life he's taking it away now and it's just the lights are sort of going off and dimming and dying should we keep going verse three has when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop and here the image changes where before it seems like we were watching um, a middle eastern storm sort of roll in and then never roll out this time it seems like we're starting to look at a house and so it, this house you see it's keepers of a house it seems to be like pillars or something like that that's holding up the house this the strong men stoop and as we as we think about this house, this is this is not unprecedented unprecedented language in the Bible at all. Um, sometimes the Bible talks about these current bodies. Not it doesn't even honor it by calling it a house. We call it a tent. <laughs> it's, it's that temporary. But here, it, poetically, it's it's envisioned as a house. And you know, it's again, it's a little bit hard to pin down. It's poetry, and so we. But is this is this talking about our legs? Is it talking about our arms? Um, yes, you know the the human body's um, degenerating, so you get you get a little shaky. You know, you can't pick up stuff like you used to. You need to stay off ladders, that kind of thing. Then you get the when the grinders cease because they are few. Uh, this is one of the few lines that is pretty much everybody agrees exactly on what it means. This is definitely talking about teeth. <laughs> you know there's the one body part that grinds right that's right (laughs) definitely talking about teeth they didn't have implants or dentures back then and then um you know it goes on says those looking through the windows grow dim you know probably our, our eyes you know we can't we can't get cataracts we can't see like we used to you and again you getting this picture this this human body is degenerating it's getting old um, the doors of the street are closed. The, the sound of grinding fades. So in, in, in other words, like this house is kind of like out of business, you know, it's just kind of like out of business. The, the, the former interior life that animated the house, there was stuff that was going on. It's just not going like it's supposed to, to work anymore. Um, what, next sound says, when people rise at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. There's interesting tension here, you know, like um, it's describing this person who gets up early um, and and you do hear this reported um, from older folks quite a bit that you you just stop sleeping as well. You end up getting early, getting up early. It's difficult to sleep. The irony in you wake, you wake just like that if you hear something. But the irony is that you can't hear 
well anymore. Um, and you know, you need hearing aids and <laughs> I could go on a little diatribe, like get hearing aids, people. It's really important. You'll use, you'll lose your mental faculties, like get hearing aids. It's important if you can't hear well, but the poetry here is all their songs grow faint. So the birds are singing outside. They wake up because of the birds, but you can't hear them very well, actually. They, it's, it's really the music of life is fading. It's really quite sad. Um, then you move to verse five. It says, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. Um, and, the, the, you know, again, you don't climb ladders. You, 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 when you stand up, you, you, you're, you're afraid of going on the street. You know, this isn't nicely paved asphalt. You're probably worried if you're an older person, you're going you're gonna to hit a rock and go down. Um, if, if today, you know, you, you're in your walker, you're looking across the living room and you, now it's looking like a treacherous gorge. You're not sure if you can make it across that baby. You're just getting old. Um, and um, then, man, this is such beautiful poetry. <laughs> Hang in there with me. You get when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Um, almond tree blossoms, you got white hair. Um, I don't know if no hair counts, white hair, almond tree blossoms. Then you have the grasshopper dra drags itself long, desires no, no longer stirred. There, there is some debate on this, you know, what exactly this means. Um, but a possible interpretation of this is that there, there's, a, there's an ancient um, aphrodisiac called the caperberry that would help people, you know, um, you know, and there, did I do enough innuendo? And uh, it was the ancient not... version of Viagra, right? Like, right. Was a... right. So the NIV, the NIV kind of does a, an interpretation for you when it says uh, desire is no longer stirred. What, what the text talks about is eating a berry. Um, and it's there's no value in it. So with and the berry was a well-known aphrodisiac. And then the house, then the house, you know, it's it becomes a funeral parlor basically. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the street. So the house people are outside the house, they're mourning for the for the dead person. And then you you do there's have... irony in that too. Can I just point that out too? Yeah, like before the house is empty. And nobody cares about you when you're getting old. But then once you're dead, everybody starts caring again. And they're out there in the street and there's all this activity. Which is what happens a lot of times, sadly. People just don't Just care. a comment. Just a comment. Yeah. Then you have, I, and I just, please enjoy this poetry. It's, it's powerful. You have two closing metaphors. Um, and the first one is this, before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken. So you have to picture this if you come into a house, there's this beautiful ornate silver cord. It's, it's hanging from the ceiling, perhaps. It's got, a, it's got a lamp, which would have been the equivalent of like an ancient chandelier. It's this golden bowl. And what happens is this it's such a wonderful metaphor for our lives. It's, it's fragile, it's beautiful. And all of a sudden, just like that, it snaps. 
and the golden ball comes crashing down it's, and, and it shatters. And this is um, Solomon's metaphor or one of his metaphors for death. The other one is, he says this, before the pitcher is shattered here, here um, your life is, our lives are pictured as a clay jar. And you take this clay jar to the well where you have to um, turn the wheel to get the water up. And Solomon says that it's, it's it, again, it, it's shattered. All of a sudden you, you, you go in one more attempt to draw the nectar of life and you can't. And you breathe your last breath and you die. It's such a beautiful, devastating um, metaphor from Solomon. Now, his last thing is, and the, and the dust returns to the ground. It came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. I'm, I'm going to make this comment, and then we're going to move on from it to make all the applications. But this is a foundational teaching for what it means to be a human. We are dichotomous, two-part beings. We are body and soul. Solomon teaches us. So our body returns to the ground and our spirit returns to God, which by the way, should be helping us think about the judgment. We're going to get there, but not quite yet. Thank, thank you for taking us through that, Jonathan. And before, in, in just a second, we're going to talk about what, what this future means for us in the, in the present, which is really, really significant. But before that, we need all of us, whoever's listening to this, who's ever with us on YouTube right now, all of us have to realize that this is our best case future. And, and Solomon, he wants, in the most beautiful and devastating kind of way, to, to help us to see that. And you carefully skipped it earlier when you got into the verses, Jonathan. But if you go back here to verse 12, and I'm going to do this in orange, or at the beginning of chapter 12, sorry. This is what he says. Um, Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. I'll talk about that more in a second. The years when, look at what it says. When you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Oh, so now the, we're getting there. Now we're getting yeah, there. It's, it's like he threw a net over all of us. You cannot escape the fact that this is your best case scenario for future. This is the 15 years and the 20 years in the future, five years in the future, um, however many years in the future, you. And this is if you don't get cancer and die or you don't die in some horrible traffic accident or something like that. The, the best case scenario, Solomon is saying, is that, is that the day is gonna come when your kids are gonna sit you down and say, Mom, give me the keys. That's the last time that you can that that you're going to have a car accident. Um, the sun is setting. Uh, the moon is 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 not shining as bright, Mom. We want to use Solomon's language. I'm sorry, but give me the keys. Or the day is coming. Just to make this real and vivid in modern day terms, when somebody's going to walk in into into a nursing home, and you're going to smell that 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 smell that only nursing homes have. And you're going to look at people that live in nursing homes and you're going to be like, I don't belong here. 
And your son's going to say, yes, you do, dad. And, and here's your new home. And that, that's going to, you know, Solomon wants to, us to see that future and understand it's coming. That's a very sobering thing. But um, we'll see how that impacts our, our present in a second. But, it, you know, or you talk about back to the future, you know, the guy in back to the future, I forget the guy's name, somebody's going to remind me, but he never goes far enough into the future to really see this. <laughs> um, at least from what I understand from the movies. Um, Ebenezer Scrooge does. He gets to go that far and he sees his own death and it changes him tremendously. So let's stare at these images let them provoke them and let it do by the spirit what god wants us to do instead of just leaving living in denial this this is our best case future yeah let the poetry have its way with you and i think probably now that we've taken it through like my counsel to you is to go back and spend time in it and let the let have the experience that the poetry provides and let it say to you, this will be you. This is going to be you. I mean, I'm feeling the weight of it right now and I'm ready to turn to, well, what are we supposed to do about this? I hope, I hope everybody's there. Like, what should we do about this? What's, <laughs> what is the wise life? He doesn't leave us in despair, but he, no. he also isn't, he's not going to let us walk on the roof of hell staring at flowers he's gonna make us stare at hell or he's gonna make us stare at death for at least just for a moment but he does have counsel for us and you know i don't know if we if you go earlier in the chapter that's where we're going to start with this we won't end there but if you go a little bit earlier and go even into the previous chapter this is what he says so i'm going to start back at chapter 11 and read verses nine and ten so he says you who are young be happy while you're young and let your heart here we are give you joy in the days of your youth follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see but know that all these things god will bring into judgment so then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. So the, his first counsel is this, that for, it's kind of for young people, right? He's going to speak to the younger generation for just a minute, but he, he wants you to be happy. So he's, he's leaning into that carpe diem. We had a whole episode on that earlier. And then he says, don't waste time with anxiety banish anxiety from your heart, cast off troubles, because the days of trouble really are later. That's what he calls them. So we don't want to get this mixed up, but this would be my first uh, encouragement. The, Amer the American way of life has got this all backwards, according to the word of God. We, we talk about the golden years as the retirement years. And, and what Solomon calls them, the retirement years are the days of trouble. <laughs> so the, the point would be, don't ever wish away youth and vigor and energy. Solomon would say, that is, that is beyond foolish. 
because you only get sicker and you only start to lose your capacities and your abilities. Do you want to say anything about that, Jonathan? Well, I can tell you it's true. I live in a retirement community here in Aiken. There's a lot of retired people here and it's what Solomon says is, is, is dead on. And so here's my thing about this is I, I want to speak about spiritual entitlement for a minute. Cause I think when it comes to young people, you know, I, I'm, I'm very moved. I hope everybody's moved by this, but it, Solomon calls us here to banish anxiety from your heart. This is such an interesting and timely thing because we hear now that actually it's the young people who are most anxious. You know, it's very interesting to me. It's the young people who are most anxious. And Solomon says, banish it from your heart. Cast off the troubles of your body. Don't, don't waste, you know, what do we say? Um, youth is wasted on the young. Right. And Solomon is saying, don't throw away your, your youth that way. Don't do it. Um, live the life that God has placed in your hand. And one, one thing that I, I think um, can help us do that is to get rid of, again, what I'm calling today, spiritual entitlement. Why, why are we so nervous about our future? It, it's, it's not guaranteed to us. We have, we have no right to our future. God hasn't given us a right to, to our future. God hasn't given us a right to our next breath. Every day, every breath that we have is an absolute gift from his hand. And when we're young and our bodies work the way they're supposed to work and we can enjoy our food and our drink and um, all of those things, it was, uh, we, we just need to soak it in. I, I remember one time, Timothy, um, it was years ago. I think you you probably don't remember this at all. It just popped into my mind. But we were we we had gone to the beach somewhere, and I said I, I remember saying to you, "Wouldn't it be great if we could retire somewhere near beach someday?" And he said, "You know what's going to happen when we get there? Do you remember this conversation?" He's like, "You won't be able to hear it or see it." That's what you said. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if we if you can enjoy it at all, and you were right there with Solomon and you maybe you didn't even realize that you were but I I want to encourage anybody who's 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 still young do what do what what Solomon says here Taylor Swift says the same thing by the way <laughs> shake it off you know <laughs> and live your life it's a gift from his hand what are you so worried about if if you die tomorrow you die tomorrow if things don't work and that's the way that God wanted to be. Live your life. Yeah, Ruth, I'm Ruth doing wrote so. in with, with a really good comment. She said, the golden years are the rust years. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> now, we, we had a word for young people. Now, I, Solomon's got a word also, I would say, not just for the people in the days of trouble, as he would call it. But this really applies to young and old alike. He says this, and this is really at the heart of everything that he says here early in chapter 12, and, a, and really a huge, huge phrase in the entire book. He says, 
remember your creator. And actually the NIV, I, this, the, the remember is not in the Hebrew down here in verse six. The NIV's got it there. But I think the NIV is just kind of showing you that throughout that whole section of poetry of this dead and dying world, um, really the, the, the theme, like what are we going to do about this is to remember. Now, so <laughs> um, it seems like a really trivial application, like, okay, so Solomon, I'm dying. Um, I'm going to die. I'm just about dead. And then his only solution is this. You have to remember. <laughs> it seems like a really small thing to do, but actually this is, I hope Jonathan, we can show, show people tonight that this is really at the heart of the Christian faith. So we, we have to kind of push into the kind of memory that he's talking about. So even just, let's just start with this word, the word remember. This isn't like Jeopardy. It's not statistics or facts or one author talks about mental flotsam. Like you're just calling back these, these rafts of garbage that you have stored up there. Um, it, it's, it's not typical human memory is we remember the bad stuff. We remember the, the things people did against us. But even more so, we remember our failures and our sins and our guilt. And this is like, I just want to say, this is not the kind of memory that, that Solomon's wanting to invoke. He's not saying build a memorial to these things. Okay. So this is, this is, this is a memory that one theologian called that is soul making. And, and the reason why it's soul making is because you're building a memorial to God and more specifically to your creator. So remember your creator. And just to, just to show you that um, remembrance in the Bible, like if we just track that for just a second, um, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. This is not just some empty symbolic act when we take the Lord's Supper. We are receiving the true body and blood of the Lord. When, when we remember, it is truly life-giving. So, so <laughs> Or um, when the thief on the cross said to Jesus, this is another function of memory in the Bible, he, and he said, Jesus, remember me. It wasn't like, pull, he wasn't saying, Jesus, just pull up a mental image of me in your brain and let me stay dead or rotting in hell. He, when, when he said, Jesus, remember me, he expected there to be life-giving force involved. See, are you starting to get it? So when we remember the creator, we are remembering the great saving and creating acts of God, the creator, in the past that create faith, right, um, that this same God is going to be stay faithful to who he is and that he will save us, even this dead and dying world.
Do you do you want to say more about that? Well, yeah. One, two things. The first is that we can encapsulate the narrative of the entire Bible using that title for God, creator. Because if you think about it, what he's doing is God created us. We wrecked the world with our sin. And God went on a mission that culminates in Christ to recreate us. And in fact, that's what resurrection is. He's recreating us again. So God is consistent with himself. He is our creator. And so we have that hope. And the application that grows out of that is no matter where you're at in your life, live your life in utter dependence on God. That's part of what Solomon is saying. So as you as you live your life, live your life as a child of God. Um, you're, you, you come into this world as a child, and what Solomon is saying here is, I hate to break it to you, but you're going to leave this world as a child. We enter the world in diapers, we leave the world in diapers. I'm not trying to be too graphic about it, but this is, this is how it is. And so Solomon is saying, no matter where you're at in your life, live your life in utter dependence on God, your creator, and trust him to redeem you, to recreate you, ultimately in the new creation. So, so that's it. Like that's for Solomon whisks us ahead. Like that, 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 that ghost of Christmas yet to come. He shows us our casket and he says, this is what I want you to do about it. You're, you're younger than that right now. All of you are. So embrace the youth and vigor that you have. And, and second of all, um, live by faith in your creator. Remember him. And, and, and don't forget that you're utterly dependent on him. So th this is going to shape and form us in the present and also give us hope into the future. Now he's got one more, one more future scene. And Jonathan, we're going to have to do this one faster than we did the last one. But look at that. Oh we, have a lot we have a lot less text to cover now. But now he's going to whisk us, perhaps, perhaps, because we don't know when Judgment Day is coming again into another future moment where we will each stand individually before um, the judge. And I thought maybe we should just read this and then um, just get into uh, this scene as we stand before the judge and just talk about the extent of that judgment. So here's what Solomon gives to us. Uh, this is Ecclesiastes, um, the end of the book. And by the way, this, we're going to read all the way to the end of the book. And it's a shocking, disturbing, um, hard-edged ending of the book. So not I, only I don't, it, I don't know. You know I don't know. I don't experience it that way. But I'll tell you why. A lot of people don't like the ending of that book. And in fact, um, I think it's the Septuagint or maybe, maybe the Masoretes repeated uh, verse 13 after verse 14 to have a better ending to the book. But um, let's just read it and then you can feel free to disagree. But here, here's what, I'm gonna start reading at verse nine there. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words 
and he wrote what was upright and true. So this is interesting. Um, Solomon is referring to himself in the third person. It's the only time he does that in the book. So the, the words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. In much study, wearies the body. And here are the last two verses of the book. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And we could say, amen. Thank you, Solomon, for that. It is the end of the book. <laughs> and by the way, a very different ending than the beginning. We are, we are no longer living in a meaningless world. Instead, we are living in a world where everything is eternally meaningful. Yeah, because it's good. God oh. is evaluating it. Yeah, he, yeah, he's evaluating it. Everything is utterly meaningful. There's so much we have to say about this. I want to I want to make one. This is um, sort of an aside. Before we get into the big theme that we're covering, covering of judgment here. But in verse 13b, uh, you have this line here that says, this is the duty of all mankind. That's the translation that's there. I want to um, go at that translation a little bit and bring some clarity to it. The Hebrew actually says, this is the whole of, of all mankind. In other words, the translation seems to suggest that... Um, the duty, the duties of mankind are to fear God and keep his commandment, his commandments. But what Solomon actually says is that this is this is at, at, at the heart and the core of what it means to be human. It, to be human is to is to fear God and have faith in him and do what he says. And if you don't, it's utterly dehumanizing. If you don't know who God is, you're not you're not quite human. Um, if, 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 if you're not doing what he says, you're dehumanizing yourself and other people. So, oh, that's a huge, huge idea. Very, very important idea. And we could do a whole thing on that, but we don't have time for that. We got to do judgment. <laughs> we got to do judgment. And of, of all the judgment passages in the Bible, you could make, you could make the argument here that, that Solomon, look, this isn't a fire and brimstone passage. We, we, there's no judgment seat here. But what it does say is it gives very specific details about the extent of the judgment. And it is... Yeah, he broad. doesn't say how we are going to be judged. We all no, are making assumptions about that. We, we read this like within the, the canonical books and the teachings of Scripture. But his big point here, this is what I'm trying to bring home, is that this is one extensive judgment that nobody's going to escape. God's going to bring this. So let me just show you. Let's just look at look at individual words here. Individual words. Let me change it to purple here. So it says God will bring every deed 
every deed. So big, small, medium, cups of water, uh, sparrows falling on the ground, hairs on your head, um, every single little thing matters to God. Every little thing. And it's no surprise that in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus talks about um, the judgment, he talks about little things. He talks about little things and impossible things. So God's going to bring every deed into judgment. And he's going to, he wants to just sweep his arms around every single possible thing that you can think of. So he even says, including every hidden thing. So, so these are the things that you want nobody to know. These are the things that you've hidden from yourself. These are the things that you wish would stay in darkness forever and ever. Amen. But they won't. He's, they're going to come into judgment. Solomon says it. And this is a really interesting thing. And I think you, Jonathan, want to say something I about wanna, that. I want to point out, though, that there could be positive things. Well, I know, I know you want to say that. <laughs> so the, well, let me just get to this. Just give me a second. And then he says this. He's going to bring in a judgment, whether it is good or evil. There we so go. I, so, so that's, you're going to have your shtick now. <laughs> so a lot of times. Well, right. What, it, he doesn't yeah. tell us how we're going to be judged. Yeah. But you do have the four categories. There's open, things that are open, evident to God and to you and other people things that are closed, hidden, and then the good and the evil evaluation. So you have four categories there of what's going to be judged. Everything in your life is going to be judged. Everything, everything, absolutely everything. Thomas de Solano is a poet from the 1200s. He said this, see the book exactly worded, wherein all, all has been recorded. Thus shall judgment be awarded beautiful poetry translated from the Latin um, in a wonderful Christian hymn, actually. So we, we have to do this now, like sweeping. Judgment. What do we, it's sweeping like, and who can escape it? Like really, really who's good enough. Who's good enough to escape the judgment. If it's going to be that sweeping and that extensive. And I'm just going to say it like this. I have no hope for you. If you intend to go to the judgment apart from Christ, I, I have no hope for you. However, however, if you intend to go to the judgment, and I'm going to put it this way, with the one shepherd, then I have incredible hope for you. And th this is, let me just point this out here. So we're backing up to verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Now I, I'm going to make, I have a little bit of a problem with what the NIV does here. They leave the, the, the word shepherd. Um, I'm thinking in Spanish right now, for some reason, small S <laughs> instead of um, capital S and, you know, other translations disagree. And, and I I disagree with them. Um, this is this is referring to God, and not not to Solomon. So, and it's also the first time that God is called a shepherd. 
which is really, really significant in the context of judgment. So this is what Solomon is saying then, that um, God is so near to us, he's so near to us that he's going to guide us if he has to with goads and firmly embedded nails and with a rod and a staff and with his word. And finally, if the good shepherd has to, and he did, he'll die for us. That's how near and, and how, um, I'm not coming up with the right words, how much he wants to keep us uh, with the judgment passing over so that that one shepherd would be punished in our place. This is, this is, this is a huge deal. And by the way, I'm not making this up. Go back and listen to episode five from this sermon, from this um, podcast on Solomon's teaching the gospel and uh, of the doctrine of justification. And you'll see that not only does he teach um, justification by faith alone here, but also throughout the entire book. Our experience with God in this section is not uh, determined by the metaphor of the courtroom. Not here. He, he, Solomon has swept us out of there. And it's not this cold courtroom. And instead, we're in a pasture with our Lord. Uh, and we know the rest of, so many of you know the rest of the, what the canon, how, how the rest of the canon develops this idea. And we know that it culminates in the Good Shepherd, who is Jesus Christ. And so you have this poet, um, Thomas de Solano, who he continued on with this poetry. He said this, he said, think good Jesus, my salvation caused your wondrous incarnation, made you suffer my damnation. And Christ himself taught us that we are on the other side. We have passed over from death to life um, through faith in him. That's Christ's teaching. And Solomon, in fact, I would argue, and I'm, I'm basing this idea on the previous work we've done in this podcast, that Solomon is actually acting here from the foundation of faith. So let me look at verse 13. What does it say? He says, fear God. This isn't, this isn't, we, now we've talked about this concept already. Here in, in wisdom literature, this is an equivalent word to faith. So he's saying, have faith in God. This includes awe. This includes reverence. It also includes trust. This is exactly what we say, by the way, um, in, in, in Reformation theology, in Lutheranism. What do we say? Faith and then works. And what does Solomon say? Trust God and then love and, lo and then love, love God and love your neighbor. Keep the commandments. This is, it's the exact same thing. We're saved by grace, and then we do works. And Solomon says, this is what life is about. Go and do it. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that's why, so Timothy, you said, you know, people look at this is so, such, a, such a bad ending. I look at it and go, I love it. This is what <laughs> life is about. It's about faith and love. Faith and love. Faith in God and love your neighbor. It's beautiful. It's powerful. So it's simple. exactly the heart of the Bible.
So if we could if we could put our arms around what we're trying to say tonight, he whisks us ahead to see our own death. He says, remember your creator. Then he whisks us ahead to see our own judgment and, and our salvation in Christ. And he says, look, let me make this real simple for you. And we should end in this way. Let's try to put our arms around this really, really quick. Here's, here's some simple, simple impacts for your life. The first one. The first one is this, you cannot deny the judgment. It's coming. So many people are, want to bury their heads in the sand. They want to deny it. They don't even want to think about, oh, that there's going to be a judgment. Yeah, right. Like people will mock it. It's coming. Like, let's just set that aside. Solomon says it's coming. The word says it's coming. And frankly, we all know deep in our hearts that we will be judged. So, so, Let's not even spend any time on that. Solomon says it's coming, and let me. And then he says, "Let me make this simple for you." Here's the impact of this: fear God, fear God, and love your neighbor, just like you said. Is this a rocket science? Christianity's not that hard. <laughs> the wise life is simply that, and uh, anything less than that, like you, like you said before, is actually not human. It's less than human. It's dehumanizing. This is what it means to be human, to, to know who your God is and to, and to love the, the people that God puts in your life. Man, Timothy, we had so much more that we were going to say, and we just don't have time. We don't. It's but, okay. you know, we could take Solomon's wisdom. Uh, <laughs> what did Solomon say? Of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. <laughs> so that's the conclusion maybe, of the matter. Maybe people are getting tired. So we can just keep it really simple. <laughs> Fear God and keep his commandments. Should we let it go at that? Solomon did. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us, everybody, tonight. Remember, next week, Professor Luke Thompson, author Luke Thompson, is going to be with us. Your life matters. We got some good questions um, for him. And so we hope to see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Notable Podcast. You can check out our other seasons on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are enjoying this ministry and are so moved to support it, please visit us at www.thenotablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.